You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. I don't know about you, but sometimes um, when I'm watching a movie, it can be a really, really good movie, and you get to the very, very end of the movie, and you're kind of like, okay, cool, that was a good ending, but what about that one person? You know, they kind of leave you hanging. What about that one character in the story? They never really tied up that loose end, and you're kind of like, you know, I kind of want to know, what, what, or what is the future like for this family that got through all this, or, or whatever. That happens to me a lot. I really get into a story. I really get into a movie, and, and um, I'm like really into it, and then I'm like, oh, they didn't, they didn't answer that question. I mean, if you're lucky, at the end of the credits, they'll have that little clip, and it kind of ties up some of those loose ends. And here in John chapter 21, it's kind of like that little clip at the end of the credits. Last week, we looked in John 20, and we saw the great confession of Thomas. He was a doubter, and then he saw the risen Lord, and he said, My Lord and my God gave us a great confession of the faith. And then John says, This is why I wrote this book, that you would believe in the name of the Son of God, and that you would find life in his name. And that's that's the the purpose, and you think, Wow, what a great way to end it. Um, But then there's another chapter, and you're kind of like, Well, why did he have to add this other chapter? I mean, the end of 20 looks like a great way to end it. Right? He says, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So you're like, alright, that's the end. But then he keeps going. And the reason he keeps going is because there was one little loose end that John left, and it was the story of Peter. You know, last time we saw Peter, I mean he's there in the room, but the last time we kind of got a good glimpse of Peter, he was denying our Lord three different times, right? I mean, he went and wept bitterly, he was discouraged. I mean, what happened to Peter, right? He cracked under pressure. Peter, the, the rock, the leader of the church. What, what happened to him? John's going to answer that for us here in John 21. So this is kind of like the clip at the end of the credits after the movie had just finished. Okay, so let's look in John 21 and verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter... And Thomas called Didymus. I think it's strategic here that John puts those two first. Okay, Peter was the the one that denied, and Thomas was the one that doubted. So we got a denier and a doubter. And he's like, I want you to know they were here, okay? And then he says this, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship. Immediately, And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Now we don't know why they listened to Jesus here, because they didn't recognize him. I mean, imagine you're fishing. You're a good fisherman. That's your profession. You've been fishing all night long. And some guy comes up to the shore and says, Hey, did you guys catch anything? You're like, No, we've been fishing all night. haven't caught a thing. Just cast on the other side. Like, I don't know why they listen. Why would you listen to a guy on the shore? We don't know if this was like a divine like, voice that like, made them command. We're not really sure. But they did it. They cast, therefore. And now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. 
So they, they're like, okay, fine, we'll listen to this guy on the shore. Cast it on the other side. And ever since then, uh, fishermen have been trying the other side of the boat, and it doesn't always work. Uh, <laughs> last week, actually, I was fishing with my nephew and nieces, and the nieces were on one dock, and the nephews were over here, and the nieces were just slaying the fish, like catching them. And, and then Ethan's like, I want to go over there, okay? So he goes over to the other dock, doesn't catch a thing, and the Gabe, who stayed here, starts catching fish on this dock. So he's like, I want to go over there. And he goes over there. But it, it is like you think maybe over there will help. But clearly this is a miracle, okay? It's not like um, there were fish over here and there weren't here. On, and and that's, it was just a fisherman thing. No, Jesus put the fish there. And that's why they caught it. Um, but right away, look at verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord... He girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and had cast himself into the sea. It's another verse I find a little strange. Like normally you would take your clothes off to swim, but Peter, seeing Jesus on the beach, I think wants to cover himself. And so he grabs a coat and jumps into the water and just goes after Jesus. In verse 8, And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And so... As we come to the end of verse 8, I want to pause there just for a minute and make a few comments. There's so many things that we could highlight. Honestly, one of the hardest things about going through a large book like this was choosing which text to really narrow in on. I tried to cover most of them, um, and we could, we could just preach a sermon from this. Um, but what we see here is Jesus graciously revealing himself to his disciples. He shows up. We don't know if they were... Um, rebelling by going fishing. We don't know if they were discouraged and they were giving up. Um, we don't know. It doesn't say that. A lot of preachers like hammer these guys for going fishing, but that was their profession. So maybe they were just trying to make some money while they're waiting for Jesus. We don't know. But it does seem like, what are you doing? Like Jesus called you to be fishers of men. Why are you going back to fishing? But either way, they go fishing and Jesus shows himself there. And what we see here is this beautiful revealing of, of Christ. He says, look, he comes and he shows them and he says, look, cast on the other side. And immediately they catch this fish and they say, it is the Lord. They know it's him. And it's a good reminder that the risen Lord is the same Lord that they followed for the past three and a half years. That the same one that multiplied the bread and fishes and healed the lame and the blind and raised the dead is now here. And, and they have this miracle, miraculous catch of fish, which he did earlier in his ministry with them also. And so, so Jesus is being very gracious in showing himself to his disciples here. And there's so many truths. I mean, we could highlight the fact that um, without, without him, we can do nothing, right? And they're, they're, they go and they're trying to fish and it says they caught nothing. And yet Jesus shows up and they, and they catch. And that's true for our ministry here. We can try in our own efforts to go and be fishers of men and fail. But we need Jesus if we're going to be successful. But either way, you, you could highlight a lot of this. But either way, I think that the main thrust of this story is coming in the end of this chapter where Jesus wants to show us uh, John wants to show us how gracious and merciful Jesus is with Peter. In verse 9, it says this, As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Now, John, I think, is a very good writer. Um, after studying it, that's been confirmed in my mind that he's, he's a very, very good writer. And, and what he does here is he purposely highlights the fact that there's a fire of coals here. And the reason that's significant is because the last time we saw a fire of coals, and really the only time, was when Peter denied his Lord. And so when you see that, you wouldn't see it probably on your first reading. 
But maybe on a second or third reading through John, you'd be like, fire of coals. The last time I saw that fire of coals was, was Peter when he denied the Lord. And so he's setting this up to tell you this is what's going on, okay? Jesus brings them to another fire of coals. And in verse 10, Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Um, Simon Peter actually has the nickname of the big fisherman. Uh, people think he was a big guy. He was a little older than the rest of the disciples. We saw last week um, that John beat him to the tomb and made sure to mention it a couple times in the narrative. Like, yeah, I was there first, by the way. Uh, doesn't say his name, but he does mention he was there. Um, but Peter has this nickname of the big fisherman, and this is why. Okay, Because there's 153 fish, which is a lot of weight. And the disciples are like struggling to get it to land. And Jesus is like, hey, bring some of the fish. And Peter goes and it says he just grabs the net of fish and brings it. So we think Peter was a pretty big dude. Um, but in verse 12, Jesus saying to them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So I want you to imagine the disciples are now on the land. Okay, they just, this miraculous catch of fish. They're not on the land and they're sitting there around a fire and Jesus is feeding them fish and bread. And I mean, imagine having breakfast on the seashore with Jesus here. Imagine what is going through their minds as they sit there looking at the person that they know was just dead. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're all sitting there and they're looking at the nail prints and they're, and they're thinking in their head like, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. This man was dead. Like, we saw him get arrested, and, and we saw him go to the scourging and go to the crucifixion, and, and he was laid in a tomb. And, and I know they saw him before, but they're still, like, trying to process this. And John even, and even says that none of them dared ask if it was him because they knew it was him. But you know they were wondering, like, is it really? Like, is this, like, am I seeing this correctly? And they're eating breakfast on the beach with the risen Lord. In his glorified body. What an awesome, awesome privilege that would be. And, and I love that John highlights that. None of them dared ask. They didn't, they didn't want to ask because they knew it was him. But there was a part of them that was like wrestling with this. And then in verse 15, Jesus kind of puts Peter on the spot. So they're all eating. They finish up dinner. And in verse 15, it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17, he saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's replaying Jesus or Peter's threefold denial earlier at another fire of coals. And Peter's grieved by this because he said, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. This is so beautiful because Peter, before his denial, um, Jesus said, you're all going to be scattered. You're all going to be um, fearful. And he's like, you know, take heart. I'm praying for you. Peter, Satan's going to desire to sift you as weed. And, and this time, 
And, and last time, Peter was like, I'll, I'll go to death for you, Jesus. Like, he's so bold and he's so confident and he's a little bit cocky. And, and here he's like, ah, you know, Lord, you know all things. He's, he's not trying to be bold about it anymore. Like, he, he's remembering his denial and he's, he's probably full of shame. You know, this, this hasn't really been fully processed yet. Like, they, Peter, if you imagine the last few times they saw Jesus in the room. And, and I just feel like Peter... Might have been thinking the whole time, is he going to address it? Because Jesus saw him do it in one of the, the times. So you wonder if Peter, the last time they were all together, is just sitting there like feeling shame. Like he's here, he's risen, but man, I denied him. Like I completely cracked. Like I, I failed my Lord. I was so confident, I was so bold, and I failed. And Jesus here lovingly knows that, that Peter is carrying that shame. And he gives him a chance to not just profess his love once, but to profess it three different times. To say, Peter, I know you deny me three times. But guess what? I know that you love me too. And I'm going to give you a chance to say it three times in front of all these people at breakfast. And so Peter, yes, he's, he's a little bit embarrassed. He's grieved by it. But man, Jesus is starting the restoration process for Peter. And then he makes a prophecy about Peter's future. He says in verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Then this spake he, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's prophesying the fact, we, we believe it's a prophecy of crucifixion. That Peter, you are going to die for me, and you're going to die by stretching forth your hands and by being carried by another. And so we believe that Peter was, was going to be crucified by our Lord. And the historical testimony is that that happened. Um, it's, it's somewhat been um, legendary um, that Peter was crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified as his Lord. We don't know that as a, a for sure fact, but we do have history pointing to that fact. But we do believe he was crucified. We know he was martyred. And this is Jesus prophesying. And you'd say, man, Peter just went through this really hard time. Jesus is restoring him. And now he's telling him, you're going to die for me. Like, you wouldn't think that's like the, com- the, the comforting thing that Peter needed in that moment. But as I studied this, I thought, you know, that's probably exactly what Peter needed. Peter was a bold guy. Peter wanted to be know- known for his stand for the Lord. He wanted to be faithful to Jesus till the end. He wanted to be willing to die. And yet when he was faced... With a a moment of pressure, he cracked. He gave in. He failed his Lord, not once, but three times. And one of them was a little girl by a fire. That's embarrassing for the big fisherman, Peter. And here Jesus assures Peter by saying, Peter, I know that you deny me the first time, but you're not going to deny me in the end. In fact, you're going to be willing to die for me in the end. And I think that gave Peter a boldness and a confidence to go forward for Christ. I'm going to die for him. I'm going to give my life. I mean, maybe a little bit of fear, but some confidence because, man, last time I I cracked. But I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to be faithful to my Lord. We come to the end of verse 19. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. We think what he's doing here now is he's probably standing up from the fire and walking Um, with Peter alone and he's saying follow me physically but there's also a a saying of commitment here Peter I want you to follow me 
You're going to face death, but follow me. Follow me to the end. And then, Peter, he is such a work in progress, like such a project, this guy. Look what he does next. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter seeth him, and saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? (laughs) So it's like, Peter, okay, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you confidence for your future. Come on, follow me. I'm going to talk to you for a little bit. And he's walking and he hears something. He looks back and he sees John and he says, okay, I'm going to die for you, but what about this guy? Like, Peter, come on, just focus, would you? Like, who cares about this guy? And Jesus even says, Jesus saith unto him in verse 22, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me, Peter. Christians so often get caught up um, by looking at other Christians and comparing and it leads to either pride because you oh, I'm better than that guy or despair because you're like, that guy's really spiritual and I'm never going to be that. And, and Peter is looking at John instead of looking at Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, if I want him to live until I come again, what does that matter to you? You just follow me. Verse 23, then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said unto him, not unto him, he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? So apparently, we believe John wrote this a little bit later than the other Gospels. It was one of the latest books written. And there must have been a rumor spreading around the churches that John was not going to die. And he's getting older and he's like, guys, that's not true. That never happened. Like, can I just like cut this thing out right now? Like, I'm going to put it in my Gospel, okay? He didn't say I'm not going to die. He said, if that was his will then that didn't matter to Peter, okay? So he wants to clarify that. And also, if John would have died, and this was a, a myth spreading around, that would have cast a little doubt on Christ and his, his things. And, and so John wants to clarify. Let's be specific here about what Jesus said. And that'll get you in trouble if you're not specific. So many churches and preachers and people don't get specific about what the Bible actually says. But let's keep going. Verse 24. John wraps it up. He says this. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself should not contain the books that should be written. I love that. One of my commentaries said this. This emphasizes the limitless magnitude of all that Jesus accomplished for mankind's salvation as the eternal Son of God, through his incarnation, life, death, and resurrection, and ascension. So John, what he does in the end of his Gospels, he brings us back to the beginning. Where he said, this isn't just a man I'm talking about. This is the eternal Son of God. And here we are at the end and he says, I haven't said everything. Because that would be impossible to say everything that Jesus accomplished as the eternal Son of God. If there were books written, the whole world couldn't contain the books that were written of all that Jesus did and accomplished. It's a beautiful way to end his gospel. And so as we kind of get to the application phase of the message, I just want to highlight quickly three truths for you. Um, I always try to narrow it down, um, but man, there are so many again that we could look at, and and I always try to keep it around three because that keeps us around the right time. Um, And I really struggled with this, but I think this will give you um, the essence of what John wants you to see here as we look at these truths. And I, I think this gives us a pattern not only for restoration. So if you've been running from the Lord, Maybe you haven't been living for him like you should. Maybe you've been far away in your heart and mind from where you know you need to be with the Lord. This gives you a pattern to come back. It also gives you a pattern in general for following him. 
Um, it's a beautiful picture of, of Jesus recalling Peter to come and follow him. And so um, it's, a, it's a beautiful truth. And really, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, there's application for you as well. Because this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what John is trying to get you to do. To believe, to find life in his name, and to follow him until you die. And so I want you to notice three truths that Jesus calls Peter to. He calls Peter to love, to service, and to commitment. And so first of all, let's look at that. Jesus calls us to love. If you notice, the very first thing that Jesus does to restore Peter after his failure is he asks him, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him three different times. And this is important that you start with this because this is the bedrock of a relationship with the Lord. It's about love. It's about loving him. Jesus even said that love um, summarized the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. Love is the crucial element, the crowning element of Christianity, the highest virtue, the greatest act. Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says that love is the first and last word in Christian theology and ethics. Man, if you, if you had to summarize what we are to do as Christians, love God and love others. It's really simple. It's about love. Now, it's simple to state. It's, it's pretty hard to live. But what, what Jesus does, first and foremost, is he restores Peter by asking him, Peter, do you love me? Because that's what it's about. Do you love me? Love is how God describes himself. It's why God sent his son to die for us. It's the top two commandments. Jesus said all the law and the prophets depend on love. Love is what shows others that we are followers of Jesus. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. And without love, we can do nothing. Love is so important as Christians. And so before he gets into anything else with Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And notice he says, he starts by saying, do you love me more than these? Now, Scholars are kind of split as to what the these stands for here. Some think that Jesus is asking him if he loves him more than the other disciples love him. Like, do you love me more than the rest of these disciples? Because Peter often would say things like that. Some are, are thinking he's saying, do you love me more than you love these men, these disciples? And some think, Peter, do you love me more than you love this fishing occupation? The money that comes from it, the success that comes from it, the, the, the ship and the nets and, and the gear. But... But whatever you decide in studying this and trying to think, the point is not, I wonder which one of these is. The point is, is Jesus Peter's highest love? And that's the question for us as well. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you love Jesus more than these? Do you love Jesus more than anything else? Do you love Jesus more than your family? Do you love Jesus more than your job? Do you love Jesus more than your possessions? He is worthy. I say it all the time, but, but loving Jesus and a relationship with Jesus is, is a lot like buttoning a shirt. If you've ever gotten the top button off, everything else is out of line. And, and what happens a lot of times in Christian homes is, is there's a higher love for the family or for the kids. And, and Jesus isn't first and everything's out of line. But if, if we love him first, then, then that's where it starts and everything else is in line. There's a proper Balance, And I say this all the time, but Shannon is an amazing wife, but she makes a terrible God. And if I try to make Shannon the object of my worship above Jesus, I'm going to put a weight on her that she can't bear. And so we said right off the bat in our relationship that, yes, we're going to love each other. We're going to give ourselves wholly and completely to one another. But first in our relationship is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He has the preeminence. And that is so key in all of our relationships. And so Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? It's a question for us to consider today. What has your highest love? Because that's going to drive your life. We are what we love. We do what we love. What Jesus puts all all the way through his teachings is the importance of love. He rises that one up as so, so important. And so we see here that the first thing Jesus does when he calls Peter is ask him, Peter, do you love me? And if you're far from God today, or if, if you're trying to follow him more faithful, or if you don't know him at all, it starts with love. What do you love in this life the most? What keeps you up at night? What do you think about? What do you find yourself, the conversation going back to again and again with your friends and family? What, what occupies your heart and mind as your highest love? That's what Jesus wants to get here with Peter. So first he calls him to love, but he also calls Peter to service. He says, Peter, if you love me, then look after my sheep. Take care of them. Feed them. In other words, Peter's love for Jesus would display itself in service for Jesus. This calls to mind in John 14, 15, where where Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And so we can talk a big talk about our love for Jesus, but if we're not serving him, then it's not, there's no evidence of our love. And so the second thing that Peter is called to is a call to service, specifically feeding the sheep. Now I want to make two quick notes about that because it's so important for us as a church. Notice, first of all, that the sheep belong to Jesus and not to Peter. Okay, you need to know here, um, a lot of times people will call this, um, they'll call you my sheep, and that's just a a horrible thing to say. You're not my sheep. Okay, you are are Christ's sheep. He is the, the good shepherd. Okay, and so if I ever try to lead you in any way that is not in line with him, don't follow me. You're not my sheep. You're his sheep. And, and, and so only follow me as I follow Christ. He's the good shepherd. And that's true for those of you who don't attend here regularly. You go to your home church and you only follow him as he follows Christ. You are Christ's shepherd. You don't belong to a man. You belong to Jesus, the God-man. That's, that's so key that you see that. He doesn't say, Peter, feed your sheep. He says, feed my sheep. They belong to me. And so what that is for me is that's a heavy weight on me to make sure I'm taking care of you because you belong to Christ. And so all week long, I'm praying for you. I'm pouring myself into this word because I want to give you food each week because you don't belong to me. And one day I'm going to stand before the good shepherd and give an account for how I fed you as a pastor. And so that's a huge weight on me. The second thing I want you to notice is he says to feed the sheep. In another passage of scripture, Jesus compares unbelievers to goats and believers to sheep. And so he separates the sheep from the goats. And what I think the problem, as many pastors have pointed out, the problem with American Christianity is there are too many pastors trying to entertain goats instead of feed the sheep. And listen, I am all about living on mission. I am all about trying to reach the world. I'm all about making this a comfortable environment for unbelievers to come and gather with us. There may even be unbelievers here today, and you're welcome here. But my first priority is to feed the sheep, not to entertain the goats. And so we are not going to change our message and our methods to try to entertain goats. We're going to focus on feeding sheep here. 
And, and that is the priority that Peter made in his life. He fed the sheep, and those sheep went out, and they transformed the world. And too many churches have adopted a business model of church where they're trying to attract people, and they're trying to dole down the message, and they're trying to water down the Bible because they want to entertain the goats. But the way the world is transformed is when the sheep are fed, nourished, strengthened, taken care of, and they go out and they turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And so you need to know that as your pastor, my priority is to feed the sheep. Yes, we live on mission. Yes, we reach the lost. Yes, we share the gospel. Yes, we invite everyone to come. But Sundays are for feeding the sheep. And that's what I'm going to give my life to. And that's what Peter was commanded to do. Now, we don't all have that same calling. You're not all called um, to the same calling that Peter is called to. But we do all have a calling. We do all have a job to do. Jesus said that the members of the body have been added as it pleases him. And so what he's saying there is you have a purpose here. You have a job. You have a, a service to complete as a Christian. And so, yes, you're called to love the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're also called to serve him. And that service is an evidence of your love. Don't get them flip-flopped. If you're trying to serve to earn God's love, that's going to fail. We can't earn God's love. That's where mercy and grace come in. We serve him because we have his love. We're his sheep. We belong to him. He loves us. He holds us fast. And so it's out of that amazing reality that we go and we serve. So Peter is called to love. He's called to service. But lastly, he's called to commitment. Jesus tells Peter he's going to face persecution and suffering and even death. But he says, Peter, follow me. The call to follow Jesus is a call to commitment, even unto death. And look, we don't face physical suffering and persecution and martyrdom here. It might be coming in our future. And I do want to say, take heart. If that is coming for us, it's his kingdom. It's about his kingdom first. And if suffering comes to our country and, and, and that type of thing comes, that's always made the church thrive in history. Whenever there's been persecution, the, the true Christians are, are standing firm and they're living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and yes, it's hard. I'm not trying to downplay it. But it's when, when things are comfortable that Christians tend to kind of sit back and relax. And so if persecution comes... Yes, that's scary, but we know who's in control. We know who's on the throne. And we can take heart by that. But we don't face that now. However, we do face challenges every single day that question our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you, will you stand up for Jesus when it's unpopular? Social media, at your job, your neighborhood, around family gatherings. Will you stand up for Jesus? I'm not telling you to start fights, but I'm just saying... Will you stand up for him? Will you be bold and share your faith when you're fearful? That's a tough one. I know what it's like. But we all know people who don't know Jesus. They desperately need to hear the gospel. And so will you be committed and share your faith with them? Will you commit to his church and be faithful? Will you live a pure and holy life when no one else around you is? See, yes, we don't face physical persecution here, but every day we face the challenge of whether or not we'll stay committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is not to earn God's favor. You have God's favor if you're, if you're a child of God. He loves you. And you're going to fail today, and you're going to wake up tomorrow, and He's going to love you. There's going to be mercy new every morning. There's grace there. We, that's what John wants us to see. So don't get it twisted here. 
You're, you're not going and, and being committed to try to earn God's love. You have God's love. And it's out of that that gives us a fearless commitment to be bold, to be challenged, to go, and to, and to be a light in this dark world. That, that's out of the love that we have. And so the final thing that Peter is called to is commitment. And Peter makes the classic mistake of kind of getting his eyes off of Christ and looking back at John. And I mentioned earlier, keep your eyes on Christ. That's how we stay committed. But again, God has not called us all to the same thing, but he has called us to stay committed. And so we see here that Jesus restores Peter by calling him to love, to service, and to commitment. And the same is true for us today. But the main truth that I think John wants us to see, and again, I mentioned it earlier, is as we see that Peter had publicly denied Christ three times, and yet we see how gracious and tender and merciful our Lord is with him, I think this is the main point. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. I don't know what you've done or where you've been. I don't know what sins you've committed, what kind of past you may have. However, I do know this. Your sins may be many, but his mercy is more. Has your love for Christ gone cold? Has your service for Christ gone flat? Has your commitment to Christ been lacking? Your sins may be many, but his mercy is more. Peter was full of shame here. We think he might have just given up. That's why he was going fishing. But Jesus graciously calls him back and says, Peter, follow me. Love me, serve me, be committed to me. And I just want to challenge you today. Don't let your past failures keep you from following Christ today. Look at the hope in this passage. I don't know about you, but I feel the shame that Peter feels here all the time. Every week... Every Monday I wake up and I feel like I didn't do him justice yesterday in that message. I tried to lift Jesus up and I failed. Every, every week I feel like I let my Savior down, but his mercy is more. There's grace there. He calls me. Keep following me. I'll hold you fast. It's, it's not about you. It's about me. Keep your eyes on me. So I don't know what kind of shame you're feeling or what kind of discouragement you're going through, but know this. His mercy is more. That's what we see here, that Peter, who had denied him, man, three times, one time to a little girl. And yet Jesus comes and says, Peter, follow me. And Peter does. And God uses him to turn the world upside down. He preaches a message on Pentecost and 3,000 people get saved. A guy who denied him three times. And so take heart today. Again, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you find yourself. But can I say, if you are far from God, join Peter today. Cast yourself in the water and get to Jesus as fast as you can. Because your sins may be many, but his mercy is more. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. Thank you for the beautiful, beautiful message of grace and mercy and restoration that we see. Lord, you're so patient towards Peter. And it's such an encouragement to me. Lord, so often I feel that shame that I've let you down, that I haven't been bold enough, that I haven't been committed enough, that I don't love you like I should. But Lord, you graciously call me back to yourself. So I just pray that today those who are maybe far from you would come to you today, be restored.
those who don't know you would be saved. And those who do know you and who are following you would just be encouraged today to be faithful, to keep going. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.